Good morning, everybody. My name is Chris Polito. I'm one of the pastors at Gospel Community Church, and um, I'm excited to be here with you guys this morning, even though everything looks a little different. Um, I would just want to assure you guys that during this constantly changing situation that we're facing, this constantly changing world that we're living in, that while everything may look different, while ministry is different right now, while church is taking place on your screen or on your device, um, our organized gatherings are canceled, um, and while all that looks different, the meat, the main course, that, that remains the same. Those other things, those other um, changes and things we're looking at, those are just the side dishes, the garnishes, the spices. But like I said, the main course, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that will never change, and that will always remain the same. So I just want to encourage you guys that in this dark time, to be a light. Don't let this ever-changing world change you as a person. Um, I see this moment that we're living in, this moment that we're experiencing in life right now, being one where the gospel flourishes. And we can have faith and we can be confident in that because we see it time after time in the Bible. Whenever something comes up, God uses that as a chance to glorify his name and bring glory to him. So one of the things I want to encourage you in is during this time when a lot more people are at home and spending a lot more time on the internet and, and Facebook and different things, um, be a light in those areas. Use that as an opportunity to spread the gospel. Um, I want to encourage you, don't, don't feed into sharing terror. Instead of terror, share your testimony. Don't feed into sharing horror. Instead of horror, share hope. And also, don't be one of the people that, that, that add to the panic, that, that add to the panic by, by spreading fear. Spread faith. And we'll, we'll all come through that better. We'll all come out better on the other side as we can do that together. Today, before we jump into today's message, would you join me for an opening prayer? Father God, we come to you, Lord, so humbled and, and so amazed by your might and by your power that while the government, due to sickness and, and calamity and things that were going on in our world, things have shut down. Things have came to a halt. But you... In your power and your might, you provide us with, with ways that we can share the word still, ways that we can get together as believers and we can hear a message and we can, we can do all of that to glorify your name. God, we thank you for the, for the chance to be here this morning, whether um, people are in their homes or, or wherever they're at. That God, I just ask that they're gathered together as a family. And they're, they're not just watching a message, but they, they put themselves in the mindset that they're at a worship gathering, worshiping the God most high, the God of the Bible. God, we love you. Jesus, it's in your beautiful name I pray. Amen. So we're going to be heading through our series on First and Second Peter still. We're in First Peter, and um, today we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. So if you want to take a moment, um, turn your device, your Bible, just go ahead and uh, flip through and get to 1 Peter chapter 2, and we'll, we'll take off from there. So first, my hope this morning is that with today's message that we can take the Word of God and we can take this scary situation that we're in and this scary time that we're in and we can share hope and faith with each other through God's Word. Because, let's face it, we're in a storm right now. 
We're in a storm like we have never seen and like we may never see again. But we can, we can lean on God, we can lean on God's word, and we can make it out the other side. So um, starting in verse 1. So put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. Indeed, if you have tasted that the Lord is good, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves are like living stones, being built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own passion, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war on your soul, and keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see that your deeds are good and glorify God on the day of visitation. And that is God's word. So what we're going to do is, in today's message, we're going to kind of rewind, and we're going to take some of these passages and some of these verses, and we're going to group them up a little bit, and we're going to dissect them, unpack them, break them down, and see what we can take from God's Word right here, and kind of use it as, as a, a, a compass and a guide to help us through this time that we're going through now. So we're going to start by breaking down the first three verses. He starts off saying, so put away all malice and dece deceit hypocrisy and envy and all slander like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the lord is good so what he's saying here right here right off the bat is he's saying lay aside all of these things Lay them aside. And he's, he's not saying this in, in the context of um, just take them and set them on the shelf for now. He's saying, like, cast these away like dirty, soiled, nasty garments that you will never pick up and never put on again in your life. Cast these away with in indignation and never put them on anymore. But to be able to really, like, take these and understand these, uh, um, they're not just words. These are not just characteristics. These are sins. These are sins that cause separation and bring pain between us and God. And for us to cast these off and be able to put these aside, we got to understand. we got to really understand what these things look like. So we're going to take these, these sins, these characteristics that he mentioned, we're just going to look at them a little bit so we can really reflect and see if, man, do I have any of that in my life? Do I have any of that, like... Um, infiltrating and getting into my relationship with those around me and, and with God. So um, in verse 1, he says, the sins to be put off and thrown aside um, are malice. 
you take a look and really think about what malice is, it, it's all sorts of wickedness. But in, in a more condensed, in a more common sense, malice is like this resting anger, this uh, anger in the bosom of fools, this settled in, overgrown anger. It's not this, uh, I had a bad day or I'm kind of on one. Malice is this anger that's been rooted inside of you. It's been festering. It's going deep and, and it's really causing you to want to not just design mischief, but cause misfortune to others, find delight in the misfortune of others, and you really just have that deep-rooted in anger to where when you see a brother struggling, you're going through something, that malice, it brings you joy to see the pain of other people. The second one he mentions is guile or deceit in words. Guile, deceit in words, it, it comprehends this like flattery, this falsehood, this like delusion. Um, it's almost a crafty way of imposing upon another person's ignorance or weakness, and, and you use that to cause damage. So a person might have a, a type of weakness, and, and so you use these deceitful words to, to work your way into their, uh, uh, into their bubble, to work your way into a, a, a relationship with them, and then you use that guile, that falsehood, that delusion, and you use that to damage them. He's saying, cast, cast that off. The third one is hypocrisies. And one of the things I really want us to notice right off the bat with this one is he uses the plural form of the word. So he's saying, put off all sorts of hypocrisies. So it's covering a multitude there, but in, in matters of religion, this type of hypocrisy would be like a counterfeit piety, a counterfeit uh, uh, type of faith. But in, in a civil manner, in a civil conversation, hypocrisy is like a, a, counter, a countership friendship. Like um, it's practiced by those who they might highly compliment people. They will uh, try and uh, give these compliments or, or, or tell people certain things, and, and they don't mean it. They don't even believe it themselves. They, they make promises where they never really had any intention of fulfilling those kind of promises. They, they create this um, friendship that's built on mischief and lies, and they do that, and it, it's rooted deep in somebody's heart. This is all these types of hypocrisies. And then he goes on with the fourth one, and he says, all envies. So that's, that's everything that may be called envy, which is when, when you find yourself grieving, grieving at the good and the welfare of another person. You're grieving at, at somebody's gifts, somebody's abilities, somebody's uh, uh, job or their successes. You see somebody and you see that they're, they're thriving and they're doing good in life and it brings you pain. It brings you discomfort. These are all types of envies. And then the fifth one he goes on to, to mention there is evil speaking, which this is like, it's, it's a detraction away from um, speaking against another person, it, defaming their name, like bringing them down. It, it's, it's rendered in a form of, of backbiting. It's really using your words to try and injure somebody to, to those they know, to them themselves. He says, refrain from evil speaking. Um, in a time like th that we're currently experiencing now in this uh, 
time where uh, everything has changed and there's a lot of panic and there are a, a lot of people in our nation, in our world, in our communities reacting to this, to this coronavirus, to this in a different way. It could be really easy for us to let our guard down and fall victim to some of these sins. You can, you can come into an encounter with somebody in the grocery store and it, it would be really easy to, to see them and know that uh, um, this might not have affected their work, but you, but you got laid off. It's really easy to, to find yourself envying that person or to find yourself um, boiling up some malice and some anger and, and speaking evil on this person. But Peter reminds us, he reminds us in this text, he's like, cast away these sins. He doesn't want these anywhere where they can, they can work their way back into our lives. He says, cast these away to never revisit, never revisit this former, former way of life. And then verse two, he goes into like newborn infants. Long for pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. Like newborns, longing for pure spiritual milk. He's telling these, he's telling these exiles that he's writing to, these, these um, new believers in Christ, he's, he's saying, you guys are like newborn babies right now. You're a newborn baby. And he puts them in their mind of regeneration, of their, their experience of being reborn, a retransformation. And he says, look, for you to sustain this new way of life, you need a sustainable food. He's telling them to long for God's word like a newborn baby longs for milk. And if you think of that um, analogy that he uses, if you think of, uh, of that um, picture that he's painting there, if you have children, you've experienced this, or if, or if you've been around uh, babies, you'll understand that you don't, you don't have to convince babies to like milk. They experience it one time, and from that one time, they create a hunger for it that, that, that's fervent, and they want it, and they, they go after it, and they cry when they don't have it, and they, they, um, they, they just get this frequent hunger for it, and it, and it arises from their instinct, from the, the depths of their body as this sense of hunger, and um, this is what he's telling these guys right here is like, you guys need God's word, this sustainable food, this spiritual milk, hunger for it like babies do. And then he goes on in three and he says, and if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So what he's doing in this part, he's, he's adding an argument from their own experience. And some other translations, some other wordings say, if so be, or since that, or for as much as you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Um, he's not expressing a doubt right here, but he, he's, he's affirming that these Christians, these Christians have tasted the goodness of God and that he's arguing with them in this. You have tasted that God is good. You have tasted his graciousness. You ought to desire the word like that baby that tasted that milk and knew that it was something it wanted more and more of. Um, and you ought to grow by it. Therefore, like, you can't deny that you've tasted that the milk is good and that God is gracious. And that should be something that you, that since you've experienced it, you keep going back to it. One of the, one of the things that it really points out there is um, he's saying, like, 
when you've experienced the goodness of God, when, you, when you've tasted that goodness, that sin, those sins he mentioned, that malice and, and hypocrisies and evil speaking, those, those should become sour milk. You've tasted the goodness of God. Those sins, those other things, they should become revolting now. They should leave a sour taste in your mouth. And there's no way to um, be appealed to both of them. There's no way both of those things can, can um, be attractive to you. It, it's one or the other. When you become um, attracted, when God becomes beautiful, when your faith, your relationship with Christ becomes appealing and beautiful, sin becomes less. Sin becomes ugly. But us being fallen people, us being flawed and broken, it, it works the opposite as well. When your sin becomes appealing, when your sin causes a hunger and thirst, God doesn't look all that great to you. God doesn't taste all that great. That experience changes you. And so he's warning them against that. He's saying, look, you don't really have an excuse here. You've tasted that God is good. You've tasted that God is gracious. Hunger for that. Hunger, hunger for that spiritual milk that will help you grow. So next we're going to kind of take a look at the rest of it, but we're going to break it down into a few sections. Next we're going to be looking at verses 4 through 12. I'm going to start with reading 4 through 8, and we'll kind of look at that one a little, and then we'll, we'll go through the rest of it. Starting with verse 4. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, Chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected, it has became the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Here, Peter's given us a description of, of Jesus Christ as a living stone. Uh, to some people, when we think of a stone, we think of that analogy, that, that painting that picture, that description might seem rough or harsh, or hardened. But, but to the Jews, to these people that he's writing to, they place so much of their faith in the temple itself, in the temple, the building, that they understand through their religion, they understand through their beliefs that this is the, the prophetical style in which the Messiah is called a stone. So why, why to some, not understanding the, the metaphor that he's using, to these guys, this would sound very elegant very proper. He is the stone, the cornerstone of the, the magnificent temple that, that um, they've studied and heard about their whole life. Um, in these verses, uh, we have Peter here. He's quoting from the book of Isaiah, and he's using a metaphorical description of Jesus Christ, and he's calling him a stone, but he's doing that to, like, to, to denote his, his invincibility, his everlasting power, his everlasting life, it, that he will, he will, his duration will reign forever. And he's doing that to teach these servants that he's, he's their protection. 
He, he's their protection in the midst of these storms. He's, he's the security, the, the solid foundation which everything else is built upon. And they're building this, this, their lives on this solid rock. And, um, but to those who don't believe, he says, this, this rock, this cornerstone, he's going to become a rock of offense. A rock of offense, a stumbling block to his enemies. He is the living stone, and, and they have eternal life in, in him, in himself, and bring, bringing the prince of life to all the people. Then he goes on in verse 9 to say, But you, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Here in this part, Peter's he, he's asserting to them that the Christian church, the, the, the body that they're a part of now, it, it's much more noble than the, the temple, the, the brick and mortar building that they had been worshiping their whole life. He's saying like, look, this is a living temple. He is the living stone, the living cornerstone. And, and it's not built up of, of dead materials, inanimate material, but it's built up out of living parts. And he's saying, Christ is the foundation. He is the living stone. He's, that, that's something for us to grasp onto as we're, we're in a time right now where um, church doors are closed for gatherings. But this, where we're, where we're at right now, this brick and mortar, this building, this is not the church. The, the, it's, a, it's a hollow vessel without the foundation of Christ. Christ is the church. We are the body. And he tells them here, he's all, um, he goes on to say, and Christians, they're lively stones. And we make it a spiritual house. We're part of the body. We have our cornerstone. We have the foundation that we're set on. He's saying, and you, you are lively stones. Now you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. All of these things that, um, that during their time, during their uh, Jewish studies, like these things became holy. He's saying, now that is you. That is you. And us as living stones, he's saying we make a spiritual house and we, we have a, a better, a more acceptable offer. We don't have beasts to sacrifice, bloody sacrifices to offer to God, but we have a much more acceptable offer. We have an altar which to present our offer to, our spiritual offers, and those are acceptable for one reason. They're acceptable to God because of Jesus Christ. He goes on in verse 11 to say, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. So he's, he's warning them in this moment, beware of these fleshly lusts that are going to come upon you. Even the best of men, the chosen generation, the people of God, they needed exhortation in this time to abstain from the worst of the sins. He's telling them in this moment, earnestly and affectionately, to, to warn, to protect themselves against this, because he's knowing the difficulty that's going to come. He knows it's important, yet difficult. He's using the, this very 
intimate, loving term. He's saying, my beloved, I urge you. He's, he's saying, there is a duty for you. There's a duty for you to abstain from these things, to suppress them. It's it, these incarnations of these rise up of these fleshly lusts. They're going to come. They're going to come from the corruption of our nature. But other than that, they, they depend on some kind of exercise from our body. They, they well up from our nature, but it's us that feed into them. It, it, it's our body, some gratifying sensual um, appetite for, for the flesh that feeds into these things. And he's warning them because he knows, he knows what will come of it if they're, if they're given way to their flesh. They're, they're scattered and, and they're, out, they're out of their own areas. And then he goes on in verse 12 to say, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify, glorify God on the day of visitation. So he further exhorts them here. He further exhorts them to adorn their profession by an honest conversation. He's saying, those around you, holding honest conversation with those around you, that let your conduct among the Gentiles be honorable in every turn, in every instant, in every, in every action of their lives. It ought to be honest. It ought to be good, lovely, decent, amiable, without blame, because it, it's they're living among these Gentiles. They're they're living among people of other religions. And they were they were they're irreverent enemies at times. They were calling them evil doers. But he's saying, look, a clean, just conversation. Keep your conduct honorable. He's saying this this is going to glorify God. This is going to get the people to wonder and to turn to you. And when they, they see that you excel in your good works, he's saying, keep your conduct honorable. And now these evildoers, they're, they're going to be intrigued. And it's going to, it's going to vindicate yourselves. And, and they're not going to be able to speak out against you. And they're not going to be able to speak against you because your conduct is going to match up with what you're, with what you're preaching, with the gospel that you're sharing. He's saying, there's a day of visitation coming where, where God, he's going to call them by his word and by his grace, and he's going to call them to repentance. He says, and they will glorify God and applaud you for this conduct, for this excellent conversation you have. And so when the gospel shall come among them and take effect, a good conversation is going to encourage them in their conversion, but an evil one, it's going to obstruct it. It's not going to, it's not going to draw them in. So as we're going through um, big changes in our world right now, we're going through things we've never dealt with and, and we've never experienced, it can be very easy for us to fall into some of the, the sins he listed in the beginning. It, it can be really easy for us to ignore a lot of the advice that he has given us because we're in a storm. Um, it's scary. So I kind of want to close today with a few questions. I want to leave you with a few questions to really ask yourself and, and really spend some time in prayer and speaking with God and communing with Him and I, in the midst of this storm and, and take a look at some of this stuff. The first question would be, have I allowed this thing that we're going through to change me? Have I allowed this thing we're going through 
to change me as a person. If you've answered yes to that, if you've answered yes, you know what? Yeah, I have allowed this thing to change me. I have allowed the, the fear to sink in, the uncertainty to sink in, and yeah, it has changed me. In that moment, identify how it's changed you. Identify how it, it, it's taken you off of your course, it's taken you off of your path, and, and in identifying it, rid yourself of those sins. Question number two. So, so we're in this storm. Um, it's getting rough. Uh, the water's rising. The wind is beginning to, to rage. Um, everything seems unstable. Like it, it, it could all come crumbling down at any time. Ask yourself this. In the midst of this storm is... What, what's going on in my life and in this world, is it going to push me off of my foundation? Is it going to push me off of my cornerstone? And if you answered yes to this, you've got to ask yourself a, a tough question at that point. You have to ask yourself, well, if, if, if this storm, if, if these circumstances were able to push me off of my foundation, was my foundation really built on Christ? Or was it built on the world that seems to be crumbling around us? And, and I, I'm pretty sure that if, if you feel um, you're being swept off your foundation, you're going to know the answer to that question. And third, um, we're in a time where people need love. Um, that love will get us through this thing. Love will keep us moving forward. So number three, ask yourself, is my conduct remaining honorable? Is my conduct remaining honorable? In, in this time of uncertainty, in, in this scary time, in these things that we're going through, it is the way that I'm conducting myself representing Christ. Am I a light in this dark time? Am I drawing people in? Or am I adding to the darkness? Am I adding to the fear? Am I adding to the panic? Am I degrading others for what they're going through? Am I putting their health and other people's safety above my wants and desires and the things I want to do on a daily basis? Because the reality is, is our world in this storm... Right now, in this moment in time, our world is crying out for a Savior. Our world's crying out for a Savior, a Savior that you know, a Savior that I know. So when they're crying out, when they're crying out for the Savior that we know and we have a relationship, let the world see Him in you. Join me as a I'll go into a closing prayer and then, and then I'll mention the four ways that we worship and the four ways that we, res, we respond to God's word. Um, and then we'll wrap it up after that. Father God, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for the, the resources that you are able to provide so that we are able to um, keep sharing the gospel. We are, we're able to keep praising and having a worship service that is all designed around glorifying you, glorifying your name. God, thank you. 
Thank you for the cornerstone that we are able to, to build our lives on in this time when um, everything seems to be sinking. Thank you for uh, the foundation. Jesus, thank you for coming down off of your throne, placing yourself in this world, and making the sacrifice so that, so that our uh, spiritual offerings are once again acceptable to God. We, we thank you for that. We love you. It's in your holy, precious, and beautiful name that I pray. Amen. Amen. So one of the ways we, the thing we usually wrap up our service with and the way uh, we wrap it up when we meet together is we go into the four ways we respond or the four ways that we worship and, and four ways that we respond to God's word. So um, one being that we pray. Um, I can't emphasize the importance of that enough right now. In this uh, uncertain, scary time that we have, in this time that where, where family, friends, people we know, people we don't know are going through so much, I urge you to pray. And on that same note, we want to pray for you. So please, don't hesitate. If you need prayer, if you need prayer for anything or you know somebody that needs prayer, um, reach out to us via message us on our Facebook account. Um, if, you're, if you want to leave a uh, prayer request in the comments below on this video. And, and as we get together as pastors, we, we want to pray for you guys. We know there's a lot going on right now. So please don't hesitate to reach out and, and let us pray for you. We're praying for you anyway. We're praying for us as a body, as a community anyway. But, but we want to pray for specific things, specific needs that you may have. Um, the, the, one of the other ways that we respond to God's word is by communion. So I urge you guys to take part in communion at home as a family. Um, spend some time thanking Jesus for his sacrifice. Thank him for sacrificing his body, for shedding his blood to, to tear the veil and bring us back into the fold with God. Um, number three is we sing. Um, as, uh, as you're worshiping God and you're praising God and you're going throughout your day and you're stuck at home, put on some praise and worship music. One of the things I heard when, when studying worship and, and why we sing and stuff is because um, one of the definitions of worship is praising something, worshiping someone higher than you. So, so in a way, that's, that's the one gift that we can give God that he can't give himself in a way because there is no one higher than him. So that's the one gift that we can do is we can sing songs of praise to him and, and worship him. And then the, the fourth way is we give. And um, we give out of glad hearts and we give uh, uh, because um, God sacrificed and gave so much to us. So we'll have a link to that in the comments below in the description of the video. If you would like to give, we'd love that. But we thank you guys for jumping on and joining us today. We're glad that even though we couldn't be with you in person, we're with you in spirit. And we are able to just come together, dive into God's word, and, and, and just spare, share some time together. We love you. Um, we can't wait for the day that the doors are open and we can gather together again. But for now, this is what we got and we made the best of it. We love you guys. Thank you.